Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi with a little laryngitis, and this is ReSound. Let's talk about the differences between boys and girls. How do girls differ from boys, Benny? ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio oddities we find all over the world. We go online, on the air, on a wing, and a prayer to celebrate the best audio being made on the radio and internet. Today, boys and girls. Oh, girls are a lot different from boys. What do you mean, Benny? Well, girls dress differently and their hair is longer. From the minute we're born, boys and girls walk divergent paths. Of course, the twain shall eventually meet. And when they do, you know, sometimes there's fireworks, sometimes there's teary breakups outside the cafeteria during a passing period. You can try and make them more alike, you know, give your girls trucks and your boys Barbies, but let's face it, boys and girls are just really, really different. Today on ReSound, we hold a microphone up to both and eavesdrop on what they have to say. First, girls. Girls are quieter and more careful. Boys are rough and noisy. There's no color more polarizing than pink. Some girls love it, some girls hate it. Some boys outwardly despise it while secretly wishing they could wear it. There's nothing lukewarm about pink. Well, Megan Vigent, a graduate of the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies, produced a short ode to the color and named it, of course, pink. 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 pink is beautiful. Pink. 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 There's something about pink. I just loved the color pink. We all wore pink. We wore pink ribbons in our hair. I always liked pink. I remember my bedroom had little pink polka dots all over it. I grew up with pink in my life. Pink kitten that I took to bed with me at night. My dad wore an occasional pink shirt. I wear a lot of pink now, but there was a time when I wore none. I wanted people to know that I listened to alternative music, so I would dress alternative. I had to fit that lifestyle. I didn't feel very girly, I guess, when I was younger. I dressed in black, and I had purple hair. And... Rejecting pink and rejecting femininity just made sense to me at the time. It made sense to kind of act like a guy. I was also scaring my parents 
a little bit <laughs> with the way that I would dress when I would come home. We put away our dresses and we put away anything that was feminine at all. Really did not like pink. Oh, get that away from me. I hated the color pink. Rebelling against the pink. Because we thought pink wasn't strong. Recently, I've started liking pink again and kind of reclaiming the color. I reclaimed the color pink. I didn't start out loving it. I started out liking it. It was like I was trying it on. As that all began to fade away, I remembered <laughs> my color was pink. <laughs> and so I started wearing it again. In this shirt, I will tell you, the day that, I, that my grandmother handed it to me, on my birthday, and when I opened it, my initial reaction was, oh, like, oh, great, Graham, thanks. But then, like a couple of weeks later, I threw it on, and I was like, huh, I'll give it a shot. And then I liked it. I saw a friend of mine in a bar, and she had on a pink scarf. And I told her that I really loved it and that I had to have one. And she said, I'll make you one as a gift. I actually chose pink. That's the first thing I had since I was a kid that was pink, and I loved it. And everywhere I went, I got compliments. The watermelon. Carnation pink. Fuchsia. It's bright pink. Bubblegum pink. It can be exuberant pink. Pepto-Bismol. Baby pink. There's like There's the hippie so pink. There's so many pink. Flamingo Las Vegas Fashion pink. pink. Whitish pink. Hot pink. Hot pink. Hot pink. It's a pretty manly pink, I think. The, the immediate misconception is it's, you know, only gay guys wear pink. Something that someone made up a long time ago, boys in blue and girls in pink. Um, I actually kind of like it, just because it's not really a boy or girl color. No man in their right mind would have worn a pink shirt when I was growing up, because that was totally a color for women. And I'm sure some of those guys are like, what is this guy, you know, like, who does he think he is wearing a pink shirt like that? I began to realize it's okay to be a woman, and a woman can be strong and still wear pink. And a woman can do anything a man can do and still wear pink. It's not a mousy color anymore. For me, I'm trying to break the stereotypes, break the stigma. Pink, it just kind of pops out at me. And I saw this pink one. I have a lot of accessories that are pink. Our office is painted entirely pink. And I just couldn't take my eyes off it. The pink sleepers and the pink blanket. The razor, the pink razor cell phone. There was something about it, and I tried to resist, but I had to have it because it was pink. Pink is just so happy. <laughs> How much do I love pink? Oh, I love it. It's just like flirty and spiritual and lovely and wonderful in every way. It reaches out for you and it says, buy me, touch me. It stands out and, it, and it's strong. It's, it's like a happy, uplifting, feel-good kind of color. I smile when I see it. When I look in the mirror, I think, wow, wait a minute, your, your face came alive. You look, you look good. It's exciting. It's sassy. We kind of came back to realizing what color you have on doesn't make you who you are. There is something about pink that no other color has. If all the other colors are feeling bad, the pink color comes in and makes them all feel good. I've definitely reclaimed pink to the point where it is the most powerful color in my life. I do celebrate pink right now because it's, it means strong woman. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> This color is just a part of who I am. I think pink was probably meant to be in my life.
Pink rocks. Pink was produced by Megan Vigent at the Salt Center for Documentary Studies in Portland, Maine. One way to get into the head of a girl is to open up her diary. Today, we're going to do the audio equivalent of just that. Joe Richman is a producer who specializes in the radio diary, a uniquely personal format. He gives teenagers microphones and tape recorders and asks them to record their thoughts and document their lives, sometimes over a span of several years. Radio diarist Melissa Rodriguez of New Haven, Connecticut, has been in and out of foster care for much of her life. Now at 18, she has a job and goes to school. A state program helps her with basic necessities, rent, utilities, and soon, diapers. Okay, let's see what old songs I have here. Oh yeah, this is a classic. Well, to my generation. Here it is, Independent by Salt and Pepper. Hi, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Melissa Rodriguez. My friends call me Missy. I'm Puerto Rican, if no one noticed that yet. I'm 18 years old. I live in New Haven, Connecticut. In a little tight one-bedroom apartment. Right now, I'm in my bedroom. I love being in my bedroom. There's everything here. All my books, my TV, VCR, my baby's crib. I'm eight months pregnant, eight and a half. It's a boy. Everybody asks me, what are you going to name him? What are you going to name him? I don't even know what I'm going to name him. I mean, I tried everything. I even called the psychic line. <laughs> Talk about crazy. I called the psychic line. I was like, can you see who it is? They didn't even know. And they psychic. <laughs> this is my plan. To have the baby. And I think when I look at the baby, I think I will know. My baby father's name is Wayne, and um, we're sort of together. We're not in a serious relationship. And I didn't think that I was going to get pregnant. It just happened. <laughs> it was just like, I just started my life. I just started to go to school. I just started working. And I just didn't have anything settled yet. Hello. How are you? Okay. Why don't you lay up on the table on your left side, okay? Okay. Every couple of weeks, I have to go get my checkup. We're going to listen to the heartbeat now. That's it. I heard his heartbeat for the first time, and I kind of believed I was pregnant, and I was still in, like, this denial stage. Doctors will ask me questions, like, am I depressed or if... If I have any problems, and they want to know what I'm eating and how much of it am I eating. I lied a lot and told them that I was eating a lot of vegetables, but the only vegetable I was eating is lettuce and tomatoes on my double cheeseburger with extra cheese from McDonald's. <laughs> All right, I'll see you next week. All right. Well, I got to be honest with you. I was kind of thinking about um, abortion, but I see it as more like, killing a human being. And adoption, I don't believe in adoption either because 
I was in foster homes, and that's just as good as being adopted. I was in eight foster homes, five residentials, and seven group homes. And it's just, you feel so out of place, and you would just think, you know, this family is not even mine. Let me get my photo album. Well, I'm going through my photo album to see who's in here. Most of my pictures are friends. Family members come up once in a blue moon. Oh, I have a picture right here. Perfect picture, too. This was when I was two years old, one years old. That's my mother. And we was at my um, little cousin's birthday party. She's, um, she looked a little fat because she just had me. Still got her roll in her stomach. But other than that, she's really pretty. She has short, curly hair, thick. She looks like she's trying to dress like a teenager, which I think she was at the time. But I look just like her. <laughs> Friends are really my family. Sometimes we would just go out driving around in New Haven, and we have like a little rating system. Like we'll take points away if he has an ugly car or if he looks raggedy, and if he doesn't score at least an eight, then no one will talk to him. <laughs> Patty, Patty, come here, girl. Hey, Patty, girl. You look cute. I like that. All my friends have kids, except for one. The good reasons why they, they have kids is because they think they're cute and they feel like something belongs to them. They know that that person will love them always. As far as I'm concerned, I'm still going to be a party girl. I'm just have to cut that in half. I'll probably just go out once a week rather than five days a week. Well, that is the bomb, baby. Oh, that outfit, oh, with the high waters in the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we did have an excitement event this week. Nurse called me, and she says to me, she says, um, Ms. Rodriguez, we need you to come in as soon as possible to cure two infections that you have. I'm thinking infections. I got an ear infection. <laughs> what kind of infection is this? <laughs> she was like, no, no, you have, um, what is it, uh, syphilis and whatever else comes with it. And I'm like, wait a minute, you get that from having sex? She was like, yes. I was like, you must have the wrong chart. <laughs> we don't have that here. <laughs> we didn't have this here, you know. And I'm just looking over to my left. And I look at my baby father. I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I really am. So he gets up. I get off the phone. He gets up, walks to the bathroom. And I look over at him. He looks at me. He's like, what's wrong? I was like, come here. Take a seat. <laughs> I want to speak to you about something. You know, all calm, not to scare him or nothing. 
right then and there, I already knew. I said, that's it. I knew he was going to cheat. I had a feeling he cheated on me, but I never knew that. he. If he was going to cheat on me, I mean, he would at least been protected. So I'm going off at him. I'm like, listen, I can't I can't even look at you right now. Just get out my face. Take a walk or something. Because I, I will kill you if you stay around here, okay? Yeah, it's probably him calling again. Should we answer it and talk to him? Nah. Yeah, he hung up. He hung up. Today is October the 9th, and I have a brand new baby boy, 7 pounds. His name is Isaiah Seto, and he was born at 1.30, right? 1.30, right? 117. 117, exactly. <laughs> he was born an hour ago. I was ago. watching. 117. And we would have recorded the birth, but it happened so fast. About half an hour. <laughs> you know, so I'm sorry you couldn't hear all the pain, but it was easy. <laughs> Oh, he's gonna be a good baby too. You see how he was crying? He just run. came out and was chilling. <laughs> Give him a little cry, make sure his lungs was right, and he just started chilling. <laughs> I can't believe this whole thing was inside of me. <laughs> Congratulations, Missy. Thank you. <laughs> when I came home, it was it was a funny feeling just myself was walking in the house, but he really didn't care. He got so used to the house so fast, you know. Something. What's that? Woo! And how do I like my motherhood here? The funny thing about having a baby, especially a boy, is that he always pisses on me. Always. Every time I change him, is just always peeing on me. I don't know why. He's marking his territory like he said, this is mine. So that's kind of cute. Um, as far as my own mother. You know, I'm debating on if I should call to let her know that her grandson is here. I don't know. I don't think she really will care. She's just that kind of person. But um, I'm going to try to call her. So let's see if I can find her number here. I haven't talked to her in a while, so let's see. Well, I guess she won't find out that she has a grandson. I'm the same age as my mother was when she had me. I think it was a mistake that I had the baby so young. I should have waited. I mean, I feel like I'm more like the like the keeper, just the keeper. I take care of him, and that's my job. That's just it. I'm not saying I'm sad that I had my son. I hate being up in the middle of my sleep and walk into the kitchen with my eye closed to try to find a bottle and heat it up. And he's crying and I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I hate it <laughs> at that time. But when I'm up and he's up, 
He smiles at me. I like looking at him and say, that's me. <laughs> Looks just like me. It's fun to see somebody who has your blood and looks just like you and it's yours, actually yours. I don't know, it's just, when I hold them, I just feel, you know, important to them. That was Melissa in New Haven, Teen Mom, a teenage diary by Joe Richmond. We invited Joe into the studio to talk to us about his work, and the first thing I wanted to know was, where did you find Melissa? With the Teenage Diaries, I think sometimes sometimes it's like finding a particular teenager who just seems interesting, but most of the time I think it's just like sort of any kind of reporter task. You're, you, you pick a subject you're interested in, and you want to find someone, a good character. So I knew that I wanted to do a diary about um, being a teenage mother, and I think, you know, the, the difference, if I was maybe doing it as a reporter, I might try to go against the cliche a little bit. But I think with the diaries, there's an advantage in just heading straight head on into the cliche and finding someone who's kind of the stereotype of being a teen mother. And then you kind of bust it up by making them kind of more human, I guess. But so Melissa, I found just through a bunch of calls and ending up finding kind of a friend of a friend of a friend who was a social worker in Connecticut working with teen mothers and interviewed a bunch of teen mothers through her and then found Melissa, who just was, you know, kind of a total sparkle kind of gem right away. Have you found that working with teenagers, and maybe specifically these teenagers, is any different? You have to kind of gear yourself differently to work with them than you do with adults or children or any other type of person age-wise? Yeah, I mean, the, the series, the, doing the diaries started out as working with teenagers, and and after that, I kind of expanded to do, we did a diary with, in a retirement home, and we did some in, with prison inmates and guards and, and various other people, and I, I think I've kept, I keep coming back to the teenagers, and I, and I tried to think about why, and I think there are a couple reasons. One, I mean, teenagers have a lot of time, <laughs> so, so they can, like, you know, hang around with the tape recorder for a while. They don't <laughs> mind that. And I think they're obviously at this point where they're kind of figuring things out and kind of like beginning this road to, you know, what's going on here, which is which is good. Can I say they also just love talking about themselves? Well, I was, I that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say like, you know, adults adults don't have this innate feeling that everything they say is important. Right. And teenagers do. And I think somewhere <laughs> in the, along the lines, I guess we lose that. But teenagers think that everything they say is worth the rest of the world paying attention to. And that's useful. <laughs> that was Joe Richmond, producer of Radio Diaries. We'll hear another Teenage Diary and talk more with Joe later in the show. Good evening, Betty. Say, you've really done some growing up since I saw you last. I guess I have. May I take your hat and coat for you? Thank you. Next up, boy flirts with idea of girl, but would rather play video games. Now, we're talking about a classic rite of passage here, an ageless tradition that transcends our differences and unites us in the bonds of friendship and memory. It happens all over the country, every weekend, without fail. It's a stepping stone to adulthood, a tradition not to be messed with, with its Ouija boards, junk food, stolen secrets, and pesky parents. The next story, called Sleepover, chronicles this ritual. It was produced by Jonathan Minhivar and Hilary Frank, who crashed two different sleepovers, one with boys and one with girls, and reported back from deep inside enemy camps.
It's seven o'clock, early still. But Bryce says that when you sleep over at his house, you basically sign a contract. You fall asleep first, you're in for a prank. I'm scared of falling asleep. I'm not falling asleep. Is anybody drawing? Oh, do you have coke? Do you have coffee, cappuccino, anything? While the boys are scavenging for caffeine, the girls are hanging out at Claire's house. They're dancing on bunk beds and singing to their favorite Avril Lavigne song. The music's coming out of a pink Hello Kitty boombox. The girls know there's a boy sleepover happening just down the street. They're dying to know what's going on over there. Boys, they're boys, and girls are girls. So it's a totally different world. Boys are so into those, uh, video you know, games video games and, like, violence, violence Ooh, stuff like that. Yep, that's pretty close. The video games, at least. And the boys, they think they've got the girls figured out. They're probably all like, ooh, um, nail polish. Not exactly. The girls don't seem to have much interest in makeup. They even seem confused when they find lip gloss in their goodie bags. Okay, so maybe the boys don't have a clue, but they know they want to bother the girls, tear them away from whatever it is they're doing. Around 8 o'clock, they pick up the phone. Hello? Um, this is Bryce. We're the other sleepover and stuff. Can we, like, prank all the girls? <laughs> What are you Bye. telling them that Bye. we're back on them? It was the parent. What did they say? They, they said call back in 15 minutes. Claire's dad lets the girls know what the boys are up to. No! So you have to call them back. Who has their phone number? They hit star 69. There's a lot of frantic passing the phone around as it rings. A person from Philadelphia losing fire, and I'm telling. Okay, never mind. Um, you guys are really bad prank callers. Actually, they all are. Prank calling is about as primitive as you get when it comes to flirting, but none of them are able to play it cool enough to pull it off. The boys spend the next three hours doing things that come more naturally. They watch History of the World. They hug the PlayStation controllers. They call each other names. You guys are retarded. Your mom's retarded. Your mom's mom is retarded. Meanwhile, the girls dive into their goodie bags. Sugar. Candy. And they play all kinds of games no one's ever written down the rules for. Zap, mash, winky, blob. A person gets picked to be blob, and they have to put their sleeping bag over their head. And then they have to find someone in the room and tackle them to the ground. It makes so much noise that Claire's dad comes upstairs. Okay, okay, guys, let's get um like into some sort of sleep position. Let's just turn the lights out and. What if we have fun, but without yeah. you knowing? That. Let's see if you can do that. This is the moment the girls have been waiting for all night. It's when they go from regular old hanging out to having a sleepover. They lie down in their sleeping bags, huddle their heads together, and get ready for some serious bonding. The boys also start doing things they wouldn't do with their parents around. They start cussing, and they decide it's okay to watch a violent TV show because it's claymation. It's, it's clay blood. It's yeah, it is clay blood. Anything goes. It is almost midnight. Sebastian's even counting down. It's Saturday in like 30 seconds. It's a new day. I wonder if the boys are actually asleep. They're not. Well, one of them is. Tyler's older than the rest of the boys by a couple years, and all night he's let them know it. He called them spazzes and said he doesn't even really do sleepovers anymore. 
But then he was the one to fall asleep first. For Bryce, it means it's time to follow through on his prank contract. He can't decide whether to use Colgate or Toms of Maine. We're going to put some toothpaste on his hand, get a feather, make him hit his, hit his face with the toothpaste. They sneak back to the couch where Tyler is sleeping and place about a week's worth of toothpaste on his hand. <laughs> he doesn't slap his face, but the toothpaste gets all over his shirt. That was good. That was good. By the way, they went with Toms of Maine. The girls want to stay up, too. Not because they're afraid of each other, but because they want to connect. These hours with no threat of parents or little brothers barging in are sacred. Life without sleepovers would be a disaster. Because it's like you'd have no time to tell your secrets and you'd be holding in all these things and, like... You, like, hold it in and it's like... You start to feel, like, droopy and lousy. And, like, some things you're a little scared to tell your parents. Things like crushes. Mimi's mom doesn't think she talks about boys yet, but she's the one who brings it up. Ashley, who do you like? Okay, hang on. The girls made me swear. No telling who we like on the radio. You could learn to like him. I mean, you used to like him. So you could just... Just go back then. Think of all the good things you thought about him. Then you two could go out and you you could get access. Access to things like boy sleepovers, what they talk about. Hate to break it to you, girls. While you're busy getting close, the boys are falling apart. They're spread out on couches across the room and barely saying anything to each other. Bryce is driven to playing a round of sorry. One, two, three, four, five, six, against himself. Bryce eventually goes to sleep, so there's no more pranking to be afraid of. But the last two kids stay awake anyhow and watch Simpsons episodes they've already seen. After this episode, I'm not lost. Is there a point at which it stops making sense to stay up? Yeah. We've done it before and we slept off the next day. Yeah. It was terrible. Tomorrow's going to be terrible, too. It's 2.30 by the time they give in. The girls are also losing steam. Ashley. What? I'm bored. Go to sleep. I tried. Finally, the last girl seems to have given up. She's hugging one of Claire's toys, a ball that lights up when you squeeze it. It glows green through the fabric of her sleeping bag. Sleepover, produced by Hilary Frank and Jonathan Menhevar for Weekend America long after producing Sleepover, but not necessarily as a result of Sleepover, Jonathan and Hillary got married. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's examine the basic differences for a minute between men and women. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxide. Let's play truth or dare. We dare you to tell us your most embarrassing sleepover story. Write to us, resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. And now, truth. If you go to our website at thirdcoastfestival.org, you'll see a list of the music that you hear on Resound, links to interviews and other stories, and hundreds of other great audio documentaries. So you've really done some growing up since I saw you last. Oh, I guess I have. Let me have your hat and coat. Mom and Dad are in the living room. Thanks, Bob. And now, boys. In this case, boy wants to meet girl, but can't figure out how. We start with Nick Epperson and his radio diary. At the time he started recording his story, he was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was 15, and like many 15-year-olds, his life was a little bit turbulent. Hi, um, this is Nick, and, uh... I'm going to play this piece I wrote. Enjoy. How are you? I'm okay. It's Halloween. My friend's sick. It's raining. It's Halloween. I can't play cello for money. I feel like a nobody. If there... Oh, oh shit. If there was some beer, I'd drink it and get out of here. Yeah. That's my son. Hi, Mom. 7.40 in the morning, and I'm walking to school, and the sun... He's just about to rise over the mountains. The delighted barks of Freckles the dog. Walking down 10th Ave, getting nearer and nearer to school. I just hate going to school every day. At school, I can't pay attention, you know. It's, I hate it so much, I can't even pay attention in class and learn. It's third lunch. Here's a football game going on. Sometimes I like to play in that, but I rarely get past two. Last year, I actually had a few friends. And this year, they're gone. They all just um, ignore me because I'm different and I don't know what's so different about me. I mean, I'm not really strange or I don't dress differently than others. I don't know. I don't know why people didn't want to be my friend. It's like one continuous day of depression at school. Thanks for 
bearing with me. And I'll talk to you when I get home. feeling like really uh, like I'm disgusted with myself I pick up my cello every time you start playing it's like, I don't have any stress at all. I don't even listen to anything. I just sort of space out. I just pick it up and space out. Dinner's done. Dinner's ready, guys. Everybody come to the table. <laughs> Spaghetti. We always eat dinner together as a family every single night. We meet at about 5.30 or 6 and have a long dinner together and talk about our days. Nick, do you want to talk about junior high at all? I feel kind of sad about going and... I don't like anything much that's going on in school. And I'm actually bored a lot of the times. Like, no one knows me. No one wants to get to know me. I just hate going to school every day. It's hard to talk about. <laughs> okay, example two. If our line... Okay, wait, I got it. If two adjacent angles forms a straight line, then the sum of the measures equals 180. Good. Okay, written exercises. Let's get our pencil for this. Since okay. I last talked, um, which was about two weeks ago, my parents have been offering for me to take home studies, dropping out of school, taking home school. Prove angle 2 plus angle 4 equals 180. All right, this is a proof. All you have to do is say... No, you, this is a proof, Mom. You can... Can write down. Equations can be added. That's all. No, Mom, okay, watch. Go ahead. And so I decided, why should I have to go to eighth grade anymore? If I hate it so much, I've had I've had enough of it. There, our first proof we did it all by ourselves. <laughs> I quit school because school sucked. One, two, three, four. Let me tell you about what I do every day. I get up at 7 o'clock, take a shower, do some French, read Great Expectations, and uh, I play some cello. Homeschool is great. I like this, I like this groove we've got. I like this, this new machine we bought. Let's keep it. Let's keep this thing on You know it We won't ever yawn This bright red machine Has 
you can hear the tea boiling in the back and um, what should I have? Oregon mint, licorice spice herbal tea, or cinnamon apple. Mm. <laughs> it's been about a month since I've been going to homeschool. And, um, homeschool is, like, good, but I don't have the best social skills right now. What I'm saying is I'm out of practice and making friends. Like, the other night I felt really lonely, and, um, I knew these two girls, and, um, they only live a few blocks away. And one night I decided, well, maybe I should just go over there and be brave. And I walked over to the house and I knocked on the door and I went in and um, it was just really uncomfortable. And I tried like like pushing good questions on her to start conversations, but we just felt really strange around each other. And, and it was awful and I just went and I mean... If you could give me any advice, or if you could just give me some potion that would make people my age start liking me, or, I don't know. I just need to know how to socialize. I'm gonna go nuts. This is your lovely host, Nick Epperson, and it's been about four months since I last recorded. I think my voice has changed considerably. <laughs> Another thing that bugs me is um, I'm coming down with some acne and I wash my face all the time and my face problem. Well, okay. Dad? Hi there, Nick. I was just going to ask you if you've noticed any changes in my life since I started homeschool. I think, you know, overall this has been a good experience for you as far as, you know, French and history and all that's concerned. But, like, deeper and more than that, um, sometimes I I go back and forth a little bit. Sometimes I feel like, almost like we indulge your emotions or your moods or your feelings maybe too much and sometimes I just want to tell you to kind of snap out of it what you're you're making a face I'm going on I shouldn't be saying what I'm saying no I just feel like I'm just being honest for a minute I want to just say um, okay well you're a serious kind of guy just like me I spend too much time uh, moping and just I don't know, it's hard just to feel good and do lots of things these days. It's hard to work, it's hard to learn, it's hard to practice. It's hard to do anything. There's one more thing I want to talk about. Um, Today, my mom arranged an appointment for me with a doctor to talk about depression and um, I think that uh, we've waited too long to do this personally and um, just need to 
cheer up. Thanks for listening. Bye. Wow, it's a really sunny, gorgeous day. There's just a few clouds. I've missed out on a lot of recording lately, and many, many things have happened. Uh, I decided that it'd be good to go back to school. It's time to make some freaking friends, you know? Alright. I prepare to cross the street to West High, and I look over there, and there are just, it's pretty amazing. They're all gathered on the, the, the South Lawn, and wow, it's packed, packed of children. I'm excited. Students, you have two minutes to get to class. Okay, let's try to read them for us the first time all together. One, two... Well, the first day of school, I think I was sort of in a frenzy, like, I gotta find the kids I like, I gotta take notes in the classes. It was just sort of like a puppy running into like a house, just trying to soak all this new stuff in. So, <laughs> that was my first day. Come in. My brother Dietrich is seated in bed. So Nick, what do you think? Do you think it's better or worse or what? I'm just, I don't have real identity right now. And like during lunch, like every person I go to, I'm kind of frightened because I don't, they already have everything figured out for themselves. And, and I don't have the skills like you do of getting people to be friends with. You know what I'm saying? Can I tell you something? I mean, I don't know if you know this, basically, everyone I hang out with, you know, my age, like 19, 20, and uh, every girl has been absolutely knocked out by you, you know? You heard Lara said, you know, oh, Nick, if you're only like four years older and stuff, I mean, you're tall, and you're sexy, you know, you got that cute hair and like those intense eyes, but you're also so musical and sort of sensitive and honest. I think you're kind of like a time bomb, you know? Or like maybe you're like one of those infectious diseases, you know? It's like you're in the dormant stage right now. All right, Mark. All right, be quiet. <laughs> okay. okay. She goes to days high. She's so pretty, oh my. Three weeks ago, I went to a party. The thing that was really cool is at this party, I kissed someone for the first time. She was drunk, but um, basically, when she was talking with me, all of a sudden she just kissed me on the cheek, and it was hilarious. She kissed me on the cheek, and I kissed her on the cheek, and then we just both kissed each other. It was really cool. Hey, Nick, what's up? Monica Torres! Woo! It's the end of the year. Yearbook day. May I see your yearbook? I have an electronic yearbook here. Just sign it with your with your with words. With my voice. With your words. Well, Nicholas, 
I've had just a lovely year getting to know you, and unfortunately, we only were like buddies the second half of the year. So we must keep in touch this summer. Give me a call. We'll go when I look at it, so much in my life has happened. And I've changed a lot. As a child, I was really happy, and, and I was really enthusiastic about everything that I did, about cello, about my writing, about drawing, about school, about friends, about everything. And since um, the beginning of junior high, as I've gotten older, I, I'm not as idealistic as I used to be. I think I see life more as it is now, and I'm not as dreamy and, and creative as I used to be. But maybe it's still deep in my brain, in the storage. I'm just letting you know that. Thanks for everything, and I think you have really nice eyes, and I just gotta tell you that. Well, that just about wraps up it all. Goodbye, and it's been a pleasure. One, two, three, four. That was Nick in Salt Lake City, Utah, Another Teenage Diary by Joe Richman. When we talked with Joe, I had to know, where did you find a teenager as articulate, as charming, and as funny as Nick? Nick is kind of a funny story. You know, I, I, it hasn't worked out this way, but I like to think that these diaries are so kind of organic, they can just kind of go where they're going to go. And in Nick's case, that's actually the way it worked. Nick's story was originally going to be about his brother, Gabe. Really? Yeah, and the story was totally different. So, so Nick has an older brother named Gabe, and their family, uh, their dad was a, um, a minister um, in the Mormon church and had just written something kind of uh, critical and had been basically excommunicated from the Mormon church. So they were shopping around for a new religion a new family religion. So I thought, this is a great story. This is something, a story that came from Scott Carrier, actually. So I met them, and I gave Gabe a tape recorder, and I thought this was going to be a story about kind of searching for a, a new religion. And after about a couple weeks, Gabe just wasn't interested in the tape recorder so much anymore. And Nick, his younger brother, kept kind of taking <laughs> the tape recorder and playing with it. Oh so I went back there maybe a month later, and it was just obvious that Nick was having fun with us and Gabe wasn't. So... And then Nick was going through this stuff about school and feeling a bit of an outcast. And we just kind of dropped one story and picked up the other. Isn't Gabe the one who comes in at the end of the piece and says, hey, listen, buddy, everybody thinks you're really, really cool? No, actually, that's the older, older brother, Dietrich, who was a good part of the story. Gabe, I think, by his own admission, would tell you he shouldn't have been chosen as a diarist anyway because he just doesn't like to talk very much. (laughs) Minor problem. So they, they kind of fixed the story for me, I guess. Oh, I love that when stories like just bloom in front of you, you know, or they're just hidden and you find them accidentally. I love that. I, I always think about that. Um, Ira Glass has this line actually that I always think about, which is that the moment he knows it's a story is when he realizes it's not the story he thought it was. Right. And in this case, that definitely happened, in the, you know, with Nick. 
That was independent producer and creator of the Radio Diaries series, Joe Richman. And I'm frustrated with myself, but I can't change. I don't want to be me anymore. And all the ticks and talks and clicks of clocks that tell time, tell me this. For our final story of the day, we turn to author Rick Moody, who was asked by a magazine editor to write something about his relationship with heavy metal music. Now, Rick really didn't grow up loving heavy metal, but he did grow up, and that's what this is about. Had a lot of psychosomatic complaints, had a lot of stomach problems, was always throwing up and waking up mom to tell her I was throwing up, had headaches, had headaches that made me want to throw up, certain people made me think I was going to throw up, most encounters with certain figures of authority made me think I was going to throw up, certain food, certain ideas of food made me think I was going to throw up, and to distract myself I went and bought a lot of bubble gum, which I loved and which I would chew in greater and greater amounts until my jaws hurt until I didn't want to eat real food because to eat vegetables especially they might make me want to throw up. Everything was about throwing up, about the built-in possibility of vomit at any and all moments, the necessity of avoiding vomit, of avoiding allowing my mother to see me vomit, though I was also terrified of being alone when I vomited because the solitude of the vomiting boy crouched doubled over in front of the toilet with the tuna casserole partly digested modeling his chin. This was too much to contemplate because if you had to be alone when you vomited, that pretty much proved it was a joyless, empty universe. And the other thing was that girls avoided me. I'm not saying a little bit. I'm saying that most girls would go out of their way to avoid me. They would lock me out of four square games. They would say the next chair over was taken, and I'm not sure that I knew what I was supposed to think about girls. I wasn't sure what girls were for, but I knew that having girls want to talk to me was an important sign of something, and I knew that these girls didn't want to have anything to do with me. Girls and vomit. These were the important themes, and the third important theme was baseball. Girls and vomit and baseball. Though no girl would talk to me, though I was vomiting frequently, though most of the guys called me faggot and threatened me in the lunchroom for reasons that were entirely unclear, I was at the same time collecting baseball cards. I was following the games. I was camped out for the whole nine. Baseball was the thing just before music. It was the batting practice before the nine innings of music. It was the undercard before the prize fight of music. Even if it was nice outside and I should have been trying to improve my swing at the plate, for I had a woeful swing, even though I should have been practicing so that the guys wouldn't call me faggot all the time, I wasn't. I was inside, watching baseball, eating $15 worth of bubblegum, and wondering why all the girls hated me. Up until this time, there had been mostly pop music confections. There had been AM radio, which wasn't yet the province of mentally ill Republican talk show hosts. 
I had the AM radio on under the sheets with the baseball cards and certain books about kids solving murder mysteries. It was all pop music. It was that bubblegum tunesmith from England who later got a toupee and announced his homosexuality. And had I known he was homosexual then, I would have avoided him entirely because all the guys were calling me faggot and because being called faggot made me feel like I was going to vomit all the time and then my mother would have to come down the hall and attempt to talk me down when I was feeling like I was going to vomit. On my birthday that year, my crew of guys, they actually got me birthday presents. I don't know why, because I didn't think they liked me any better than any of those girls like me. They mostly just told me to f*** off. Anyway, I went over there one afternoon to my friend's house up the street, and there they all were, my crew, and it was my birthday, and they'd gotten me presents. So here, unwrap the presents. So I had the presents, and they were all LPs. Every single present was an LP, because that was the time of LPs, and I unwrapped the first one. Didn't really know what it was, this LP, because I'd been mostly listening to the Bubblegum Toonsmith, but this LP was called Made in Japan. They were saying, man, you don't even know smoke on the water? How could you not know smoke on the water? This is what they were saying, because everybody knew that. Everybody did. And to be able to play the chords of smoke on the water on your guitar was to guarantee that you were not a homosexual, which was very, very important, as I've been saying. Even if you were a homosexual, it was important to guarantee that you were not a homosexual. And guaranteeing that I was not a homosexual would probably ensure that I would not vomit and would not have to wake up my mother to tell her I was going to vomit. And maybe even some of the girls would talk to me. There would be some magical transformation that had to do with these chords. I heard the chords that began smoke in the water. I saw that the people who played these chords had extremely long hair and were extremely ugly, not like the bubblegum tunesmith. Maybe they were like certain long-haired hippie persons that I'd learned about on the news and had been told to ignore or avoid. These people who played Smoke on the Water, though, they looked like the hippie persons, and their song was dark and forbidding like certain nightmares I had on nights when I believed I was going to vomit. Turned out that apparently music didn't have to be about girls and love. It could also be about... Uh, what was it about, anyhow? I didn't know what Smoke on the Water was about. Did any of the guys have any idea what Smoke on the Water was about? No, actually, they had no idea what it was about. Didn't matter what it was about, man. It was loud. So who cared what it was about? The lead guitar player got to take a really long solo. And the organ player got to take a really long solo. And the song just went on and on and on, and there was fire in the sky. And so Made in Japan went onto my turntable because it was simple, loud, and mean, and a whole new language was now clear to me. How had I failed to understand that everyone was speaking this language so new that it didn't even have a name yet? It was just loud, and it was about boys not apologizing. It was saying, I am a boy, and I want. And Made in Japan brought this boy Argit into my bedroom, Dumb, simple boy sexuality, soiled sheets, acne medications. I could be dumb and stupid too. I could like stupid things. I could love sluts and cars. And I could talk about when I was going to drink and when I was going to smoke pot. And I could talk about naked girls. And I could listen to Made in Japan. And I could go space trucking. And I could speak of my woman from Tokyo. And I could realize that all these songs were sung by Jesus. 
Yes, the actual Jesus from some musical about Jesus. This was the guy, this ugly long-haired guy. The singer guy had actually played Jesus, and Jesus wanted it loud, and I wanted it loud and dumb, and I didn't care about anything else because I had just gotten my first set of headphones and grown my first pubic hair, and I had the headphones on in my room, and I was listening to Made in Japan, and the louder it was, the better I liked it. Turn the mother up. Avoid vomiting. Metal, a masterpiece of teen angst, was written by Rick Moody with music composed and performed by One Ring Zero. Mom, that's it for our show today. We'll see you bye. Resound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars with associate producer Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcasts. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.